0: what's up everybody welcome to giraffe chaff this is episode number 73 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher how's it going dude
1: Going really well. I'm super excited for Crimson Vow. We got to the twilight of Midnight Hunt and now it's time to see, you know, really what we do in the shadows of uh, of Crimson Vow. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm quickly running out of vampire IPs to, to reference. I thought I'd be able to come up with more.
0: Well, that's right. Today is our Crimson Valve format breakdown. We are super excited to dive into this format. We actually did a little bit of preview content for this, which is not usual for us. And we're going to try to make it more usual and more common going forward. But we did already release uh, set grades that we did for, we've been supplying cards here with set grades. So We actually did a small stream for part of that and then we released on 17 lands our actual breakdown of those grades so you can check that out in our discord and if you're not in the discord definitely hop into that as soon as you find comfortable and check out all the different channels we have over there like I said you can check out the 17 lands set grades for Crimson Valve from Giraffe Chaff in the announcements channel. And any of the other discussions in in the Crimson Vow channel and and a handful of other places as well. So check that out. The link to that is in our episode description as well as on the Twitter page. And if you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This is our only real sponsor of the show and is what keeps us doing this week in and week out. We thank you all so much for your support and keeping us doing this on a regular basis. Perks over there include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings to the show, our Draft Chaff hero cards sent to you, signed by us, as well as our Draft Doctor series. We're still looking to get some of those sent in. The beginning of Crimson Vow will be great for those, uh, so definitely send in your 17 lands logs if you're on the uh, Squadron Hawk tier so you can get those done and we can get some videos out for you guys.
1: Yeah, the patrons are really the lifeblood of the show, and I want to say a really big fangs to all the patrons that support us week in and week out.
0: Zach's giving me a look. I I don't think I can keep going. I I think we're just going (laughs) to call it here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the format breakdown.
1: See you later. (laughs) Anyway, we're not going to do a a cracker draft thing. Doesn't make a lot of sense when we don't know the cards yet. Let's get into our Teferi Tibble. We're going to share a high, a low, kind of like a Roses and Thorns thing. What's up, Zach?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned a few weeks ago that I've been having some issues health-wise. I was feeling a ton of fatigue and anxiety and things like that. Most of that is gone. I'm feeling quite a bit better at this point, so very happy about that. Uh, work's been Wait. good, pretty pretty calm this week, so not a whole lot of stressors going on at the moment. And of course, we're gearing up for Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and so I'm I'm practicing. Uh, well, I, I'm working on losing calories so that when Thanksgiving rolls around, I can put them all back on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good strategy.
0: Uh, for my Tibalt, I haven't played Limited in a long time. I mentioned this during our our format farewell for uh, Midnight Hunt, and I'm really itching at this point. I I'm very excited to jump into Crimson Vale. From what I've seen of the format so far, it's looking very fun and and a bit more balanced, shall we say, than, than Midnight Hunt was. Mm. So very excited to see where this turns out.
1: I'm excited for pre-release, which I think I'm going to be able to make it to this weekend. I'm, I'm kind of doing a little traveling. I'm, uh, I'm bunny-sitting for my brother this weekend, which is my one of my Teferis. I love hanging out with these bunnies while my brother's out of town. He's got three of them. They're all kind of mean, <laughs> but they're really cute, so it balances out. Another weird Teferi. I'm, uh, I'm currently drinking apple cider that I made myself out of spite. And I should probably explain that sentence because it's not one that I thought I'd ever say. Those that know me in real life know that I'm an awful chef. I am a terrible cook. I cannot make anything. I can make an omelet. That's about <laughs> the best I can, I can come up with. But I really like making drinks, uh, alcoholic or otherwise. So this one in particular, I was making because my school is having like a Thanksgiving feast. I'm a teacher. They're having like a a Thanksgiving luncheon for all the staff where everyone has to bring something like potluck style. There was a sign up sheet on like a a Google sheet was like an editable thing. So every teacher was like putting in what they were going to sign up for. There's another Mister Fisher in the district, even spelled the same exact way as my name, and he signed up to bring apple cider. Now I always sign up to bring apple cider at these kinds of things. I love bringing apple cider. I love like making mulled cider or different kinds of hot cider. It's always my go-to thing. And I felt like I had just been stiffed. I, I felt like I had just been—I I don't like—had the rug pulled out from under me. I am the apple cider guy. So like several uh, several notches down, I wrote homemade apple cider. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Throwing shade at this other Mr. Fisher.
1: Oh my goodness. And uh, the best part is that I had never even attempted to make homemade cider before. <laughs> so this week I've been messing around. Like I tried out one oh, recipe. Like, like from
0: scratch homemade cider. From scratch.
1: Wow. Smooshing those apples, boiling them for three hours. It the first batch turned out really well. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm going to try messing around with some different apples next time, some different spices. Hopefully I get a (laughs) a good recipe in the next few weeks. But look, spite is a really powerful motivator. I, I don't really know what else to say. My title this week, I'm behind on work as usual because I'm spending all my time researching apple cider. I don't really have much to add to that. I had a few tough losses in Limited this week. The core set Chaos Draft which I actually really enjoyed. I had a few that I just I'd crushed. I, I went 6 and 3 on a, a I think 3 in a row and then I lost like two straight. I just kind of like 2 3, I 1 3 and uh, that was a bit that was a bit tough, but you know, the, the losses always hurt more than the wins.
0: With that, on to our listener question of the week. This week our question comes from Moon in the Discord, and Moon says, There's some pretty good graveyard hate in the new set, but it's not attached to a 3-4 that enters the battlefield with two 2-2s. How busted is Diagraph Horde at common? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty busted. At what rarity do you
1: look at Diagraph Horde and say, now it has to have some adjustments? At uncommon, I think it's fine. Like they could have made that an uncommon. At it, it rare, it's not very flashy, but like I don't know. I could see it being printed as a rare. I, I like I think we wouldn't have blinked too much. Maybe if it was like a three mana three four that ETV'd and did all the stuff. If it was a three mana three four, I think that'd be a solid
0: rare. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, but you cut off two whole mana from that. It's a three mana three, so that's already above rate. Plus, you're getting two, two, two bodies. I think if they if they cut Decayed off and kept it at a five mana three four, it could potentially be a rare. Because it makes decayed zombies, hmm. it doesn't make typical like traditional zombies. I think if if they if it just made normal zombies, like if Diagraph Horde was reprinted or not reprinted, but functionally reprinted into yeah, yeah, Crimson okay. Val, you would have seen it without decayed, and that that I think we could have seen at rare, definitely at at uncommon. Like this is a pushed common.
1: Just the graveyard hate aspect alone, <laughs> like and, and you know we never really talked about the flavor of this card. I think the obvious thing is that two things get. I mean, they leave the graveyard, but then their zombies come back. But it's it's a little bit messy. The creatures leave the graveyard, but then you get the zombies. So like what when it's in the graveyard, those cards leave. So are these like, like, or maybe these are two zombies that like ate things that were dead and then the dead things go away. I don't know. It's it's a little bit messy, but clearly a push card.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Let's get into our main topic, the Crimson Vow format breakdown. We're going to chat about each of the two color archetypes. Maybe mention some potential side archetypes along the way. And for each section, we're going to cover the single gold uncommon. We only actually have one this time around. And two cards of each color that we think will be pretty key to the archetype. Maybe one common, one uncommon. I think it generally spread out like that. And in the end, we'll cover our picks for the top commons in each color. Now, we're going to be talking about this in terms of vector theory. If you're not familiar, we have a whole episode about it. And we actually have a a nice article written by myself that I recommend you go check out. If you ever hear us mentioning things about different vectors and this and that, I recommend going to check that out to get caught up to date on the vocabulary.
0: Yeah, so we're obviously in a new format. New format means new mechanics. It also means some returning mechanics. But to set the, the playing field here to understand what we're working with, We're going to highlight the mechanics first before we jump into those vectors and those different archetypes. So first up, we have day, night. Of course, we're still on Innistrad. It's still part of the same same story, really. So the day, night thing is still here. Some creatures make a day. You begin tracking it at that point. Some creatures will have day bound or night bound, depending on the side of the card. It's entirely werewolves this time around, so just pay attention to those. They're also only in red green because they're all werewolves. There are no there are no color-shifted werewolves in this particular set that have daybound, nightbound, so uh, you don't have to worry about those in any colors other than red-green.
1: The next new mechanic is training. The humans are suiting up after their, I guess, defeat in Midnight Hunt. Training reads, whenever this creature attacks with another creature of greater power, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. So uh, you're going to want humans uh, that have this ability. Uh, there's a lot of them. You're going to want stuff with both big power, uh, and low power that has training. So it's kind of the opposite of Mentor for those that had that uh, that ability back on one of the Ravnica sets. And something you may know about Mentor is that you don't have to do too much work for it. The way that the creatures work out, I mean, if you just play a normal mid-range deck, you're going to have creatures with low power with this ability, and then creatures with higher power as you start to curve out. But uh, this also gets better with counters.
0: Yeah, I'll also add to that. There are only four commons and two uncommons with this keyword on it, so you won't be seeing this a ton. I don't think they're also only in green, white in terms of colors, and then there are three rares, uh, two rares and a mythic that also have training. So things to look out for, but just just kind of keep that in mind. There are only the four commons, so you probably won't see too terribly much of this our next mechanic here is exploit this is an old one coming back for the first time i think i I don't know if we've seen a normal standard set have exploit since dragons of tarkir when we first saw it so it's fun to have this back. And exploit reads, when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. And then typically, and pretty much every every card that has exploit will do something extra if you decide to sacrifice that creature. Of note, it can be any creature, even a creature that is doing the exploiting. It doesn't say it has to be another creature, so it can be the creature that has exploit itself. Some will trigger off of their own exploit. Some will have triggers that just care about stuff being exploited, so they'll be recurring a lot of them are one-offs, but some of them will will recur if you have multiple cards with exploit. Decks that are built around this, the exploit mechanic will typically want a lot of cheap fodder. Cards with ETB or die triggers are also good to have in, in these sorts of decks where you can kind of get the value off. Bef- a- they don't really do anything after they're sitting on the board, essentially. So you can have fodder to sacrifice away to exploit.
1: Next up, another returning mechanic from Midnight Hunt is Disturb. It reads, you may cast this card from your graveyard, transformed for its disturb cost. And then on the back, it usually says that, uh, well, actually, actually every time it says that if it would be put in a graveyard, exile it instead. Everything disturbs is an aura this time around, which is neat. It's interesting. I was a little confused at first. I thought maybe they're just going to have things disturb as anything, but everything's an aura. Sometimes a curse uh, that enchants an, uh, an opponent. Sometimes just an aura that enchants one of your things or any anything. It, it, it's cool. Sometimes they're beneficial. Sometimes they're negative to your opponent or their opponent's creatures. Look for ways to get stuff in your graveyard, similar to last set. Uh, the ability to like loot away a creature into your graveyard or maybe self-mill means that you can kind of draw these cards for free. We found out last set that a lot of the Disturb cards were worth a card both on their front and their back, so these kind of acted as natural two-for-ones. Look for something similar this set, but the fact that everything's in aura means that sometimes they're not quite worth a card if they get blown up by removal. Interested to see how this one plays out.
0: Yeah, likewise. Our next new mechanic here is blood, and these are essentially just tokens. Blood blood tokens are a new, new form of token that we have in the game. Cards create blood tokens. Typically, they're in red and or black, and they are colorless artifacts with an activated ability of pay one, tap and sacrifice it and discard a card to draw a card. So the discard is part of the activation here. This isn't like a a traditional loot or rummage sort of thing where the effect is causing you to discard a card. You have to discard as part of the cost. So if for whatever reason, this is on on the stack and somebody happens to want to counter your draw, you will have already needed to discard that card. A minor thing probably won't come up in limited, but something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, this means you should consider keeping an extra land in hand if you are pretty confident that you could draw into a way to create a blood token. Typically, we recommend playing your lands out like that, but you know this is an actual reason because this gives everything cycling for one in the late game, which is pretty cool. Last but not least, we have cleave. Not super relevant for any one particular archetype. This one also shows up mostly at higher rarities, but there's a few commons with it. You may cast a spell for its cleave cost. If you do remove the words in square brackets from the the card itself. So this is some of the most bizarre templating to try to describe (laughs) audibly. But basically, there'll be a sentence. Some of the words will be in brackets. If you pay for a cleave cost, you remove the stuff in brackets. And it usually makes the card better. So something that says, like, destroy a human creature. And then when you pay the cleave cost, it might cost a little more, but you'll get to remove the word human. And it'll just say destroy a creature. In in this case, I think it's actually a deal three gain three that costs one of the black or costs one black black for its cleave cost.
0: It's definitely a weird one to talk about in audio form where we can't show any of that sort of stuff. I will add as well that it's mostly blue cards and a hand like there are a handful of black cards. It cleave does technically show up in every color, uh, but there are only two white cards with it, one red, one green, and then there are a handful of blues and three blacks, none at common for the black there. So Mm. you... Won't have to worry about this in many colors in terms of actual uh like actually using cleave. But if you're in blue, you'll definitely want to keep an eye out for it.
1: Alright, so let's get into our archetypes. Oh man, um looks like blue white is, is some kind of disturbing aura, some kind of spirits theme. You you we would we know anybody that would want to talk about blue white spirits? I don't know if we know anyone like that.
0: Yep, definitely not me. I, I totally <laughs> hate spirits. But I'll take one for the team, you know? So as we usually do, we will cover the archetype, the multicolored signpost uncommon here, and then we'll, we'll kind of break down what this archetype is looking to do, as well as some of the key cards that we expect to see in, in that vector. So our signpost uncommon here is called Brinecomer. This is one white blue for a 1-1 spirit at uncommon. Whenever Brinecomer enters the battlefield or becomes the target of an aura spell, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying, and it has a disturb for one and a blue. And the backside is an aura that attaches to a creature that says whenever this creature becomes a target of an aura spell, create the 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. And that is the disturb thing this time around. They all come back as auras. And they come back giving the effect of whatever the original creature had. So some will give flying and some will give double strike. Some will give like Brian Comer the ability to generate tokens, things like that. Um, so in this case, we have Brian Comer here. I think is actually a really solid card. I'd probably put it in, you know, like the B range somewhere around there. A three mana 1-1, one, one, it doesn't have flying itself, but it does come into bat- come into play with an additional 1-1 one, one flyer. And then you can continue to pump them up. And then whenever this, this dies you know, it's going to disturb back and give another creature the ability to generate a bunch of flyers. This is kind of similar to uh, a card we had in Midnight Hunt, where by the time it was, it warranted being removed, it had already done everything you needed it to, and you were pretty happy that your opponent pointed a removal spell at it anyway. So I think we're going to see something similar here. The disturbed color pair so far seems to be blue-white, of course, um, kind of following what, what we saw in Midnight Hunt. And... It seems to be mostly that these are are going to be two-for-ones. There are, there are a handful of them that I think won't quite get there, but do pay attention to keeping creatures on the battlefield so that you have something to disturb the auras back onto. And also kind of, you know, you're going to have to that inherent sort of two for one against yourself in terms of removal spells and things. But I think having these attached to disturb actually negates that a lot. Right. Because you don't feel you still had to invest the mana, but you don't feel like you're down a card necessarily when your opponent gets rid of it.
1: One of the big problems with auras in Modern Limited is that they tend to print pretty efficient deep removal. So when you try to put this four mana aura on one of your creatures or something like that. You're just going to get blown out by a two mana kill spell, and then you just got two for one and way traded down on mana. So when you have these auras that are kind of attached as bonuses to already just solid cards, something like like our Bridencomber friend here, they reasonably could have made this without the backside, and I think we'd still be pretty happy with it in this deck, right? I mean, th- this thing just makes a ton of little flyers. Let's say you, uh, you you play it. You get your 1-1 flyer when it enters the battlefield. You've already got a 1-1 and a 1-1 flyer out of the deal. You target it with an aura from your graveyard. Just from targeting it alone, you get that 1-1 spirit. So even if now, if they point a removal spell at it, then, well, you still have got that, that 1-1 flyer, and you didn't really get two-for-one because, like you mentioned, that aura was kind of for free from your graveyard off of a creature that already maybe one for one and served its purpose as a card. I mean, now they're also pointing a removal spell at your three-mana 1-1 one, one that, like you mentioned, already did the bulk of its value. And if they do ever manage to kill this, you can just put the, uh, the aura side on something else and they have to go through the whole process again. This feels like a pain to play against. Like, no one wants to spend a removal spell on a 1-1, one, one, right? Even if it is a 1-1 one, one that can continue accruing value.
0: Yeah, I mean... What ends up happening here, though, is that the the Brine is what needs to be targeted by spells before it dies. Um, so there will probably be a point in time where you're where you well, I guess you're just happy to send this in. It's a one one, so this this one in particular doesn't gain anything by attacking. So you know it, it's like an interesting spot there, but. Yeah I mean it's going to be interesting just it's probably just going to sit there and generate value so I do like that. The other thing uh, to pay attention for here is obviously graveyard synergies and the flyers slash evasive creatures kind of thing to, to put those R's onto. Um, that's where you really want to be looking in terms of these disturbed spells. The other thing is that there really isn't very cheap removal in this format at common or uncommon and we'll get mm. to that in a little bit later but this this format's light on removal from what I've been able to tell.
1: Let's mention some of the the cards from this archetype. First up, Cat. Drogskull Ca- oh, Cavalry. That's an old one. Drogskull Infantry. This is one of the white for a 2-2 Spirit Soldier at common. It has Disturbed 3 and a white, and the aura on the back gives plus 2, plus 2. Just very normal rate. <laughs> like, exactly what you'd
0: expect. Yeah, I mean, it's a 2-mana two 2-2. Paying four mana to give to pay to play an aura that only gives plus two plus two is not really something that I'm generally interested in. But when you get that aura for free, basically, it's it doesn't cost you a card. Well, that I'm a little more interested in. Our next card here is Twin Blade Geist. This is one and a white for a 1-1 one, one with double strike at Uncommon, and it has Disturb for 3 and a white and it gives double strike.
1: Yeah, that's that's a sweet deal. I think they usually print this aura at three mana anyway. The one I think it's called like double cleave usually or something like that or whatever the aura is that gives double strike it usually costs three mana so we're getting that that is a you know one card that's worth a card i think and we're getting that just attached for free to this you know kind of threatening attacker if you can put a counter on this make it a two mana two two double strike that's scary
0: yeah, I mean, it wears auras pretty well. This is one that, like, you'll want to play your Brinecromer on, perhaps, so mm. you can generate a lot of aura value. But, uh, yeah, if this thing gets any bigger, it, it, it's a real problem for your opponent. Our next card here is Lantern Bearer. This is a one-mana 1-1 one, one flyer at common, and it has Disturb for 2 and a white, and it disturbs into an aura that gives a creature plus 1, plus 1, and flying. This card is much better than previous iterations that we've seen typically people like these cards and they not necessarily should, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but in this case this one's actually really solid. One mana one one flyer is going to start poking in early and it's going to disturb into something to give maybe one of your big beefy creatures flying later on. I'm happy with this. This this seems pretty solid.
1: Yeah, this is a, a fun card to be good. The syntax of that sentence makes sense if you think about it, I promise. If this card is good, it'll be a lot of fun. (laughs) I <laughs> mean, just putting little 1-1 flyers in your deck is an entertaining time. Blue Flying Men has always been a deck that performs better than I want it to, but I have to admit, it's a good time. And yeah, the fact that you can just jump an actual creature in the late game, sweet.
0: Yeah, and then our last uh, blue card here for this archetype is Steelclad Spirit. This is one and a blue for a 3-3 def- uh, spirit at common with Defender, and it also has whenever an enchantment enters Battlefield under your control... It can attack this turn as though it didn't have defenders. So this is a two-mana three-three that just sits back, blocks for a while, and then eventually just gets turned on when you start disturbing back these auras, and is just an above-rate attacker. So super happy to have this card around. One thing we can see a little bit of, at least with our picks here, is a good good amount of two drops that are decent value in this archetype. Doesn't seem to be one with, with a ton of uh, expensive cards. Probably going to have a relatively low curve, be sort of that blue-white tempo-y sort of style of deck and just kind of eke out value from those auras as best you can. It's also looking to have a bit of a 1-1 sub-theme, where a lot of the creatures it either has or can generate are 1-1s, so it's a bit of a death by 1,000 cuts sort of style, but I'm excited to play this. This looks a lot of fun.
1: All right, let's get into blue-black. I call this one Exploiting the Dead. We have skull scob is blue-black for a 2-2 zombie at Uncommon. It has exploit, which of course reads, when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature... And then it reads, Whenever a creature you control exploits a non-token creature, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. This one's interesting in that it doesn't have a trigger connected exactly to its own exploit. It rather connects to each exploit that happens to a non-token creature. Now, funnily enough, you'd rather sack those two two tokens to exploit cards, but uh, you know it doesn't quite let you get there. This does let you upgrade maybe dorky little one ones. For example, we talked about that that one one flyer, the lantern bearer. Can you imagine curving lantern bearer into scab? That's a that's a pretty cool start. That's four power on turn two
0: yeah that feels pretty good plus then you have the ability to give something flying later on Mm. do it is worth a mention i I don't know if the way you said this excluded this possibility but it does still trigger on its own exploit it's just that it also Mm. triggers on subsequent exploits as well but it's pretty clear what blue black's trying to do here right they just want to exploit things
1: Yep. So look for creatures that have most of their value concentrated in an Enters the Battlefield or Death Trigger because you won't really care too much about exploiting those. In fact, it'll be value for you to get those off the battlefield to feed your your powerful exploit stuff. Speaking of which, uh, let's talk about Bioloom Egg. Two and a blue for a zero four 4 Serpent Egg at Uncommon. Has Defender. When it enters the battlefield, Scry 2. When you sacrifice Bio Loom Egg, return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. The transformed backside is a four-four, and you can sacrifice two islands to make it be unblockable this turn. We were pretty down on this at first. We were saying this looks pretty bad. The more I thought about it, the more I'm—I think it's slightly better, but I still am not in love with it. I actually think this it's has good. to be exploited.
0: I, yeah, think, okay, I think it's okay. pretty good. I've—I've I've come around on this card a lot. I if you go back and watch our uh our vod for the the stream we did where we actually did get to this card we got through the A's and the B's in the format and we were pretty low on this and we were like back and forth you know talking there's something we're missing here this feels weird it feels like it shouldn't be an uncommon what are we missing and i think what we were missing was the fact that four toughness in this format's going to be massive mm. and in some decks it's not really the right colors for it but you might actually get some of the big butt stuff going on with this too because it, it could deal hmm. damage it won't be attacking but it could deal damage uh That's true. equal to its toughness the thing is this etbs gives you that scry to value then it just sits there gums up the board there there are a few things that can actually attack through this outside of expensive creatures that have big butts and then you just get a 4-4 four, four for free later you don't even have to use the sack two islands ability. We were kind of hung up on that because sacking two islands to give something unblockable feels really bad. But it's just a free four four that you you're getting on top of at whatever exploit value you're getting because that's really the only way this is dying. Nobody's going to point removal spells at it, and you're certainly not chump blocking with it.
1: Yeah, I, like this will be great in blue black specifically. I think this will really underperform most other Pretty places. Much like else. yeah, what like six or seven ways to exploit before this becomes good. And yeah, the scry helps you find them, which is nice. But still, I'm I'm a little suspicious. I'm sure it's better than I think it is, but this kind of nonsense just isn't really how I tend to play the game. So I'm willing to accept that my rating on this will be lower than most people's and that I should probably course correct up a little bit from where I think it is. It's probably pretty good. Next up is Wretched Throng. One of the blue for a 2-1 zombie horror at common. When it dies, you may search your library for a card named Wretched Throng, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. In case you weren't quite sure how Wretched Throng works, the art does a really good job of yeah, getting it, it across. Just These things are just going to keep spitting out more Throngs. Nothing is going to be worse than when, I don't know, you trade your two drop for this, and then your opponent just goes and gets another one. And then they get another one. They exploit that one. They get another one. Like I think if you have three or more, this is pretty sick. You can even chump with it in the late game, or like, I mean, it does get worse if you have multiples in hand. You never want to draw, if you ever have two exactly, and you draw both, you're going to feel like an idiot. Yeah. But this is obviously fantastic exploit fodder, it gives you a new card to exploit with the next time. It draws you a card, even if this is just something that trades off. It gets better the more you have. I look forward to seeing screenshots of someone with like eight of these in a deck, and that'll be a good time. Next up is a reprint, it's doomed dissenter, he's back and uh, on a different plane but still dissenting as always. This is one of the black for a 1-1 human, common. When it dies, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Again, just look how well this plays with the skull scab. the vector is really clear here. If you sacrifice the doomed dissenter to an exploit creature or to the skull scab itself, it's non-token, and then you wind up with a 2-2 zombie afterwards which is kind of an upgrade. Plus, this is just fine on its own. If this trades for a 2-1 and then you get a 2-2 out of the deal, you feel like you really got away with it.
0: Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning here at this point, there is no Decade in this format. These are just plain 2-2 zombies. So you don't have to worry about them dying after attacks or anything like that. They're just plain old 2-2 black zombies.
1: You know, I really like Decade as a mechanic. I kind of miss it already.
0: (laughs) Definitely change things up.
1: Next up is Fell Stinger. This is two in a black for a three two zombie scorpion at uncommon and God what is even happening in that art I I have no clue is that a a, a, I think horse? It's a horse
0: yeah that is a it's a horse-sized scorpion essentially that's that's a uh, pretty terrible huh now would you rather fight one horse sized
1: oh, scorpion or 50 scorpion sized horses?
0: Well, according to your logic, it's the one horse-sized scorpion because then you can tame it and ride it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if this one is going to be quite as willing as a duck. Uh, But anyway, this is a 3-2 death touch for three. It has exploit. When Felstinger exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life. Yeah, if you're looking for a way to recoup the losses on all these creatures you're sacrificing, this just refills your hand at a little bit of a, a cost. These are some interesting stats. 3-2 for 3. I mean, it feels like they just added Death Touch on this for free. I'd be happy with this even without that.
0: Yeah, I actually am positing that this is the front runner right now for a draft half hero for this set. I think this card is going to be bonkers.
1: It does look pretty great. Uh, Of course, it is target player, so you will occasionally kill your opponent with this, whether it's by draining them for the last two damage or (laughs) the, the more fun way, drawing their last card and you know, then none card out of the library or the last two and then pass the turn. Whatever works, you know. Use at your own risk. But Fellstinger looks sweet. Again, imagine you go one drop into Skull Scob, into Fellstinger, and you exploit the token that you got off the Skull Scob. And then you just get another one and actually wait, no, you don't. That's only when you get an token. Okay. You still get a whole bunch of sweet value. I mean sacrificing an ETV triggers, this is what blue black is pretty good at, and it looks really well supported. Even with lumeg I
0: guess, suppose. Alright, onto our next vector here. We have black, red, or bloody murder, as it were. And our signpost uncommon here is Blood Tithe Harvester. This is red and a black for a 3-2 vampire at Uncommon. When it ETBs, create a blood token. And again, those are artifacts that have pay one tap, discard a card, sack this artifact, draw a card. So they essentially give cycling to all of your things. And then blood tithe harvester also has an activated ability of tap sack blood tithe harvester target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn where x is twice the number of blood tokens you control activate this only as a sorcery so this is interesting you definitely want to have a handful of blood tokens for this but it is twice the number of tokens you have so really you're pretty happy if you've got two of them i mean minus four minus four to anything is just a it's just a kill spell. And you are cashing in your 3-2 two for 2, but it's a 3-2 two for 2 with a upside and then more upside. That's just That just sounds pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, I see this smacking in in the first few turns, getting in for maybe 6, potentially even 9 damage, which is a lot. And then once it gets blanked, I mean, it looks like red and black are going to have plenty of blood tokens laying around. You might just get to, I don't know, to deal like minus 4, take out a 4 drop or something, a 5 drop even potentially. Also, notably, uh, this doesn't require you to sacrifice the blood tokens. You you get those still. You just have to sacrifice the harvester itself. So you still have those to maybe draw you into more gas. This thing looks sick.
0: Yeah, it is a reason to not cash in your blood tokens. Obviously, the more you have around, the better this card is, or at least that ability is. But yeah, I like the play pattern of getting this down on two, chipping in for some damage, and then when it is inevitably just blanked by bigger creatures, you can cash it in to get rid of said bigger creatures. So I'm pretty happy with this, and given that it already gives you one blood token, and the fact that black red is the blood archetype, it's gonna be a pretty easy, I would think, to get a handful more. So this is definitely gonna be a pretty powerful card in this archetype. Our first black card here is Blood Craze Socialite. This is 3 and a black for a 3-3 three, three at common. It has Menace, it also has ETB, create a blood token, and whenever it attacks, you may sack a blood token, and if you do, it gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. I love cards like this. It's a beefy creature with a relevant keyword ability in Menace adds to the whole sub-theme of the the archetype, and then it has this awesome little threat of activation effect just attached to it. Now, this one is is a little bit worse than those, given that you have to do this at attacks, so you don't get to blow your opponent out. There's really no threat of activation on this one in particular, but I still think this is going to be a pretty solid card for the archetype.
1: Yeah, it seems like blood is pretty easy to get. It almost feels like they color shifted some of the stuff instead of stapling a decayed token onto all these random spells. There's a blood token stapled onto all these random spells. This does a a pretty good Thalid Omnivore impression, if you remember way back from Dominaria. That really had that threat of activation, especially with all the uh, little saplings running around. But this will often attack as a 4-mana 5-5 menace. That's, That's really good. And this is a common... So, I mean, if you can pick up a few of these, look for ways to actually get blood. You might want to actually put some work into making sure you have those blood tokens laying around. Because a format of five five menace is obviously insane. And that is the top end. That is very real.
0: Yeah. Notably, you can only sacrifice the one blood token. You can't sack X blood tokens to give it plus two, plus two more than once. So, so that does have, you know, Omnivore had that going for it as well. You could kind of sack whatever you wanted. But I think giving, giving it that ability and then... Either or both, giving it the ability to just activate this whenever you wanted, would make it ridiculous because menace really means that your opponent's getting blown out. At worst, you're two for wanting them, and at best, you're doing a lot more than that. So, uh, I think this was pretty safely created this way. Uh, I think this was done intentionally, and I expect this card to still perform pretty well.
1: Yeah, notably, that's also an attack trigger. So this is pretty aggressively slanted. Uh, This vector is pretty clearly asking you to attack. And uh, if it wasn't clear enough, why don't you check out our next card?
0: Yeah, our next card here is Wedding Security. This is 3 black black for a 4-4 at Uncommon. It's a vampire soldier. And whenever Wedding Security attacks, you may sacrifice a blood token. If you do, put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Wedding Security. Oh, and also draw a card. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah the heck? there it is. <laughs> at
1: first it sounds a little bit like a uh, slightly more expensive Blood craze Socialite, our last one. But that draw a card... Ooh, I mean, turning a rummage into a draw card, that is sick. So this is basically, it att- attacks as a 5 out of 5-5. Five, five.
0: Yes, it, the first time it attacks, it doesn't generate a blood token, so you do need a way to to get them. Uh, wedding security doesn't provide that. But it just continues to get bigger, and it replaces itself repeatedly. This card is a reason in and of itself to have ways to generate blood tokens. Pick these up. This is This is a really solid card for this archetype.
1: Yeah, I feel like this could run away with the game. If you're there with a with like a four-four and a three-three, and they attack with this thing, and you have some, and they have some mana up, you're like, well, I could double block it, but if they blow me out, then I'm never killing this thing. What do I do? It just seems like really an annoying card to deal with. And plus, if the worst that you could do with it is have it replace itself, right? Though so, I, I like this thing a lot.
0: Our next card here is Markov Retribution. This is two in a red for a sorcery at uncommon. Choose one or both. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. Target vampire you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. Now this is interesting. I like this card because it's, well, it's modal. We, we tend to love modal cards, but each of the modes are in pretty different directions. And I like that because it, it adds, it's kind of two cards in one in that way. You can kind of go wide, pump your team a little bit and, and try to chip in that damage. Or you can use it as a removal spell, which I think is pretty phenomenal. I mean, imagine having your, your wedding security at like as a 6-6, and then you just, all right, mark up retribution. It turns it into a removal spell for just about everything.
1: Yeah, I, this is also a sorcery, so that that go-wide effect. Sometimes you'll use like a warhorn blast or something, that kind of effect on defense to maybe have a bunch of tokens and you fell behind and you end up trading uh, kind of well. This is a, an aggressive one. It's sorcery speed. You have to do this at, at, at your turn. So really what it's asking you to do is cast this like go wide effect, this plus one plus 0. Use it as a removal spell too. The first time I heard this, I didn't realize it was both like, yeah, it is th- both. you can do both of these. That That's pretty sick. You can do both. And plus that does, pu- that buffs the power of your vampires. So if you had a two, two, now you're dealing three to something. And then maybe you kill their biggest thing and attack this, this card will end games. absolutely.
0: Next up is Belligerent Guest. One too many Bloody Marys, I suppose. (laughs) Two and a red for a 3-2 vampire at common. It has trample, and when it deals combat damage to a player, create a blood token. Well, there you go. There's there's a repeatable blood token generator. It isn't huge, but it's on rate, and it's got trample, which is relevant if you're trying to deal combat damage to players.
1: Mm -hmm. Sometimes this will trade off and still get you a blood token. Nice. I like it. Absolutely. Uh, Next up. Our friends that have been raised by wolves, the red green, uh, the, the werewolves, they're back. I don't know, man. It's hard not to be down on werewolves, but I'm going to try my best to here. channel. Yeah, they're definitely better, but I don't know how much. But let's talk about Child of the Pack, who was quite literally raised by wolves, it seems. Two red green for a two five. Sweet. It's uncommon. Human werewolf. It has paid two red green, so it's its own casting cost. Create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. And of course, it has Daybound. The backside, it's a 5-5 with Trample, just a werewolf now. Other creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0, which of course will turn all those wolves you've been making into 3-2s. Yeah, I like this one. This, This is a cool card.
0: Yeah, it's notable... Uh, the Savage Packmate, which is the backside of Child of the Pack, doesn't buff just werewolves or wolves, it buffs all your other creatures, so that's something to keep in mind. I mean, on, on Arena, you won't have to keep track of that yourself, but that is relevant. You, you, it will buff your whole team. And yeah, I mean, this is just a nice little compact card. It's it's big enough to basically block everything in the format, and it just sits there and generates you extra creatures in the late game. This is a, a great mana sink.
1: Mm-hmm. Plus, it plays really well with werewolves that like to have the turn get passed, right? So you pass the turn exactly. without playing a spell, make that wolf use that activated ability. I mean, werewolves tend to pair best with things that either have flash or activated abilities like this. So this is perfect. The one thing that I don't understand just at all why are all these werewolves higher toughness? And I know the toughness theme of the set. I know there's that. But, like, this is red-green. It's a little further away. Why, in this set and the last set, there have been so many werewolves that are, like, two fives? Like, I had one four. Like, that, that's not how they were in the previous sets. They're always, like, these three-mana three-twos or these super aggressive, like, like one-mana, one-ones that flip into two-ones, stuff like that, or two-ones that flip into three-twos. I don't know. It's It's a weird take, and I think that might be part of the problem.
0: Could be. I, I think this one in particular makes a bit more sense with the art involved because it's like a, a little girl on the back of a massive wolf. So she's maybe doing the attacking. She's got a spear in her hand, so she might be doing the attacking. She's a bit smaller, smaller power. And then maybe the wolf is just protecting her. So the toughness is higher. And this one, I think it makes sense. But I agree with you. The, the overall theme of werewolves being a bit beefier on the back end as opposed to having a p- high power. I think probably did hurt them long term, uh, especially in Midnight Hunt. If they were far more aggressively slammed, like if, if Tavern Ruffian was like a five three or something instead of a two five, yeah, yeah, it would have been much more uh, competitive. I think with the with the format.
1: Well, anyway, we have to remember to not uh not entirely blame these new werewolves uh, because of the the faults of our our old werewolf friends from Midnight Hunt. I mean, who knows? Maybe these lack all the problems that those ones had, or maybe it's worse. Uh, who knows? But they, they deserve. Uh, some good support. Maybe they get it this time around. Uh, notably, it looks like a lot of the uh, a lot of the cards this time care about both wolves and werewolves, which is a nice a nice flavor thing. Especially Child of the Pack, uh, who does make wolves. Let's talk about Hungry Ridge Wolf. One in red for a two-two common. It's a wolf. It has some pretty sick art. And again, with those weird things next to the moon. I still never got an answer about that. If you know what those things next to the moon are, please like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll just keep going. So, so as long as you control another wolf or a werewolf, Hungry Ridge Wolf gets plus one, plus zero, and has Trample. This looks kind of like a Grotag Bug Catcher, and I will play like 10 Grotag Bug Catchers in a deck. So yeah, g- give me some Ridge Wolves. I like this one. Sure. Next up is Runebound Wolf. Another one in a red for a 2-2. Two, two. This one is an uncommon. It actually looks very similar. It's another wolf. This one has three in a red, tap, Runebound wolf deals damage equal to the number of wolves and werewolves you control to target opponent. So again, an activated ability, a mana sink that you can use to maybe flip some werewolves in the late game and then activate this. I mean, if this taps for 2 or 3, that's reasonable. There will eventually be a point in the game where red and green, they do tend to run out of cards, unlike uh, blue and black and some of these other archetypes. So I could see a point where you're pretty happy starting to deal three or I mean if this taps for four damage, you're really getting something done.
0: Yeah, I think the funny part is this will be like a nice on-curve two mana two-two, and then it's going to eventually get out class, but you won't want it to die because you're you're gonna want it to sit back and use this ability. And then you can rely on some of these other beefier werewolves like Child of the Pack to block around. This will eventually deal far more damage by just a Tapping on your opponent's end step yeah. than it would attacking. So I think yeah, even if you have it does count itself. So yeah. Yeah. it's gonna deal one by default, and then you know up up from there. I think it's gonna be pretty solid in these decks.
1: I almost wish the activated ability dealt damage equal to like the greatest power among wolves or werewolves or something like I think that. Something good. to play off the like give you a reason to have actually flip your werewolves. I don't know something like that could have been cool too. Next up is Sporeback Wolf. This is one of the green for a two-two. It's a wolf at common. Lots of good two mana plays in this uh, in this archetype. I like that a lot. As long as it's your turn, Sporeback Wolf gets plus O plus two.
0: Like this feels what? really weird. <laughs>
1: I don't. Am I missing something here? Uh, so it's your turn. It gets plus 0, plus 2. I mean, Again, clearly slanted towards attacks. This makes it difficult to block. It makes it pairs pretty well with combat tricks, especially ones that only affect power, because maybe, like, or, like this is a perfect combo with Sure Strike, for example. Giving this thing First Strike was, is a huge blowout if they were trying to double block with creatures to, to get it down. Yeah, I mean, it's a good attacker. It's a wolf. It's not an impressive blocker, but uh, I don't think this deck wants to do too much blocking. Last but not least, we have Infestation Expert. Can I interest you in another... Uh, Tovalar's Huntmaster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is 4 and a green for a 3-4. Say Tovalar's Huntmaster. Uh, it's a human werewolf at uncommon. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, create a 1-1 green insect creature token. And it has Daybound. On the back, we have Infested Werewolf. Ugh. Someone forgot to take their doggy pills, I guess. <laughs> that, that doesn't look good. 4-5. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, Create two 1, 1 green insect creature tokens with some, some great flavor text. Oh, it's the front fantastic. side says, uh, there's only so many times she can take being asked. The back says, what's bugging you? <laughs> and there's just a whole menagerie of infestation there. Yeah, I mean, this, this provides really good value. If you can get a few clean attacks in with this, you know, you, you're going to make a, a small army of bugs. Sounds nice. I like
0: it. This also might be the first card that we've seen. I'm just scrolling back here to check. I think this is the first card we've seen so far that actually hits on the infestation thing going on. Like We don't we don't really know what this is, but there's like a bunch of art in this in this format hmm. that has like these weird tentacle monster like tentacles coming out of creatures. And the infestation werewolf has that or infested werewolf has like some weird like tentacles coming out of it. I don't know what the deal is with that, but hopefully the story will answer that.
1: Yeah, you're right. I didn't even really notice that, but there were at least one or two other cards that had this kind of oh, infestation a bunch. theme. Yeah, they are huh, a bunch. Good, good catch. Yeah, I didn't really notice that one. I don't know if Emrakul's up to her tricks, but th- like we mentioned, I think before, those tentacles do not look very Eldrazi. They look just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it might have more to do with Crothus and, and Runo Stromkirk, but.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's so true. Cool. Ooh, it's time for green white. Time to uh, count or your blessings. I don't know, Sigarda's blessings, you know, counters. Look, I was stretching with some of the names on these, but I just couldn't wait to talk about Sigardian Paladin because this is a front runner for one of my favorite cards in the set. Two green-white for a 4-4 human knight at uncommon with some uh, some pretty dope art, already a card that I like. As long as you've put one or more plus one, plus one counters on a creature this turn, the Paladin has Trample and Lifelink. Then it has the activated ability, One green white target creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it gains trample and lifelink until end of turn. Oh man, this is dope!
0: I actually also love this card. When I first saw it spoiled, I was like, This card alone makes me want to build a Selesnia EDH deck, and I've never wanted to build that before, so I might be doing that. Um. Oh, hey, this back off. I'm awesome. working on
1: Silesnia Humans. Hey, okay, okay. We, 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 we can both have it. That's fair. Yeah, no, but, but seriously, this I've always loved the Humans archetype. And Green-White is a, a bit of a pet deck of mine. For those that have been listening for a while, some of you may know that I used to have a standard deck last time Innistrad was around. And I played Green-White Humans with a bit of a twist. It was kind of like a, a Season's Past package where it was more of a mid-range deck that could... It, it had like brazella in it and this is renewal it was a whole bunch of nonsense but it had a uh, it was kind of like an aggro mid range and also late game combo deck it was awesome i loved playing it, it when that good. rotated out i stopped playing standard forever um, <laughs> and uh, anyway this seeing a good green white human gives me just good vibes I'm going to find it pretty hard to pass this one. Now, obviously, uh, green-white has the sub-theme of training. This is a format of 4-4. This is going to train everything. And when it does, this thing gets Trample and Lifelink. And then you can activate this to make one of your trained-up creatures get Trample and Lifelink. Just plays off each other so well. I am really going to like this deck. Let's start by talking about Laid to Rest. 3 and a green for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever a human you control dies, draw a card. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, you gain two life. Oh. card advantage heaven.
0: Yeah, this is a four mana do-nothing enchantment, but those are the things this archetype wants to be doing. I mean, playing humans and playing getting counters on them, so it's a good way to give your white cards draw a card, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are certainly four mana do-nothing enchantments where, I don't know, your opponent casts them and you go, oh, yes. this is going to be an easy game to win. I don't know. I feel like when your opponent casts this, you groan a little bit. You look at the three creatures they've played and they're all humans and you're like, oh, well, now every time one of my things trades with their things, they draw a card off of it and I'm down a card off the exchange. Like this this feels like a brutal one. Plus it gains you life and and buys you more time to draw more humans and play more humans. And oh man, I'm really liking the look of green-white. Next up we have a front runner for my favorite common in the set too. This archetype really is just sweeping me off my feet here. Rural recruit. This is three in a grain for a one one human peasant with training. It's a common. When it enters the battlefield, create a 3 1 green boar creature token.
0: The flavor of this card is ridiculous. It implies that the the pig is teaching this thing how to, teaching (laughs) this recruit how to be a better combatant. It's just absurd, but I love everything about it. The art is also fantastic. Very much a a cool style, in my opinion, and just love it. Yeah.
1: I mean, are you telling me you want to face down that pig? Look at that thing. It's
0: no, terrifying. I'm not saying I want to face it down, but I'm not saying it knows anything about combat. Like, how is how is this pig training this recruit? I don't get it.
1: Is it not holding, like, it looks like a scythe almost? Its, it's got mouth? something in its mouth, yeah. Yeah, that that's sick. These types of cards tend to overperform the ones that enter the battlefield make two creatures, especially when one is just a 3-1 by itself. Uh, the other one is a 1-1 that pretty easily turns itself into a 2-2 and then can potentially even turn into a 3-3 just from this, this card by itself. It does start a little understated. Like, you yeah. do have to get through some clean attacks. But I don't know, if you, if your creature, if your human dies and triggers your laid to rest, I don't know, you're not too sad about it, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's my biggest concern with this card is just that it it comes down on four, and yes, it gives you like good stats over two bodies. But the recruit itself is probably not going to be getting through anything on turn four, such that it can be trained effectively. Right? It's it it attacks as a two two virtually because the the pig will train it. But a two two is probably still just going to get eaten by whatever their four drop was anyway. So
1: yeah, you do need to pair this with with some tricks or removal. But you know, don't worry. There's probably some of those around. Next up is Parish Blade Trainee, one in the white for a 1-2 human soldier at common. It has training, and when it dies, put its counters on target creature you control. This is nice. So now if you go to all the work of training this up a bunch, let's say you pair this with a 3-3. You can train this up twice, and then if they manage to kill it, you just get all that value and put it somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I love stuff like this. I mean, it it's the big downside to training is that when the creature dies, like you put in this work for nothing, but... Now this card kind of recoups a lot of that. So yeah, I love that kind of effect.
1: Ooh, imagine this in multiples. Put all the counters from one onto the other, then get like a big seven. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that that, that sounds nice. Last but not least here, we have Resistance Squad. This is two and a white for a 3-2, human soldier at uncommon. When it enters the battlefield, if you control another human, draw a card. Nice. White card, it says draw a card on it. It's aggressively slanted. I mean, curving Parish Blade trainee into this. That's sick, right? You get to train up the Parish Blade twice then. Uh, you've already gone back up a card. Yeah, I'm in. Is this better
0: or worse than Search Party Captain? I know it's an uncommon, not a common, but just out of curiosity, where do you place this in terms of Search Party Captain?
1: I mean, it's kind of like a Search Party Captain that you attacked with one creature to cast. Let's say you curve the. Uh, you, you attack with a 2-2. Uh, let's say you're Candle Grove Witch on turn three, then you play a Search Party Captain. So this is an upgraded version of that. You have an additional power. You don't get to have that busted thing where occasionally you attack with three creatures and play a one mana Search Party Captain. But the fact that this is a 3-2 makes it better in context, I think. The fact that this is so much better at training than Search Party Captain, that extra power really is going to do a lot in the humans deck, I think.
0: That's true. All right, on to white black, or get a life, as we're calling it. And our signpost uncommon common here is Markov Purifier. This is one white black for a vampire cleric at uncommon. It's a 2-3. It has lifelink. And at the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn, you may pay 2. If you do, draw a card. So, pretty, pretty decent. I mean, by itself, it can potentially give you that trigger because it does have lifelink. It's probably not going to attack through anything on 3 at, at just 2 power, but doesn't really need to deal combat damage to a player, it just needs to gain the life. And, presumably, this archetype will have other ways to gain life, uh, but the ability to pay 2 to draw a card is pretty solid, yeah, I, I mean, stapled to a 3-mana 2-3 life lifelinker seems pretty solid.
1: Yeah, this is another one of these archetypes, one of these vectors, if you will, that has very distinct payoffs and enablers, like, are you gaining life? Yes? Then you get this reward. So, sometimes uh, the best ways to enable things like this are repeated enablers. So that would be lifelinking creatures or uh, our, our first card here.
0: Yeah, and our first card here is Traveling Minister. This is a one mana 1-1, one, one, so it's just white for a 1-1. One, one. It has an activated ability of tap, Target creature gets +1/+0 plus plus until end of turn. You gain one life. Activate only as a sorcery. So this, in in and of itself, would would get you there with the purifier, and it's it has no doesn't cost anything to activate that ability. It just needs to tap, which is great because nobody's going to want to remove this thing. Uh, so this is a solid little common here for this archetype. I, I like this quite a bit, and it does you know give you that little little buff in power. This is like a pretty typical life gain archetype. Uh, we saw this in in AFR with like green white, but this is going to be yeah, like Ben said, just. Pick up cards that say gain life on them. Find the cards that say, if you gained life, do X. Mm-hmm. Our next card here is Heron of Hope. This is three and a white for a 2-3 flyer at common. It's a bird. It also says, if you would gain life, you gain that much plus one. And it has an activated ability of one and a white. Heron of Hope gains lifelink until end of turn. This is kind of an all-encompassing package. Most of the stuff in in these sorts of archetypes, and I, I think it's the case here as well from what I've seen, don't actually care how much life you're gaining. So the gain plus one thing is generally not going to matter too much in archetypes like this, especially in limited, but giving itself lifelink is pretty big.
1: I believe there's one uncommon in white that, Flips over into a better creature if you've gained three life in a, in a turn. But okay. besides that, yeah, I can really imagine traveling minister being a huge card in this format. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm going a little deep here. Certainly but for the archetype. I would even say it's good in humans. Obviously, it's a human cleric itself, but that plus 1 plus 0 sorcery speed, you're clearly meant to activate that during the first main phase. You can buff a creature so that it would train. Maybe you have a 2-2 two, two and a 2-2 two, two with training. You buff the 2-2 two, two without training, attack, and now that 2-2 two, two with now, now a 3-2 puts a counter on the other 2-2. Two, two. So this can really get the some sneaky counters in. I think you're getting a lot of value off Traveling Minister. Plus, with Heron of Hope, this thing is tapping to gain two life, which is you know that that buys you a lot of time in a synergy-based vector like this to find your other pieces, to find stuff like your Herons of Hope, or to find something like your Markov Purifier. And then if you're if you're combining Traveling Minister with Markov Purifier and just paying an extra two to draw a card every turn, while gaining life, so that it buys you time to
0: use said cards. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Our next card here is Courier Bat. This is two in a black for a two-two flyer at common when courier bat enters battlefield if you gain life this turn return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand this is another one that's just really solid on on turn three tap your minister play the bat mm. get your two drop that died back like that that feels very very good as well this doesn't seem difficult in this format to turn on and like all the cards we've mentioned so far have been commons yeah it seems like there's also a flying sub theme here it may just be the cards that we picked out of, out of the hat here for this uh this archetype but um, expect to see some of those floating around as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of common support for this archetype. I, I noticed that while looking through, uh, especially in the next one. The next one, another hot take, I believe, to be one of the more important cards to several vectors in the format.
0: Yeah, and that, that card is Gluttonous Guest. This is two and a black for a 1-4 vampire at common when gluttonous guest enters the battlefield, create a blood token. When you sack a blood token, gain a life. Now, our belligerent guest had one too many Bloody Marys. Our gluttonous guest seems to have had one too many blood puddings.
1: <laughs> uh, whatever they're doing, this looks like a fun party. I, I might want to go, although um, it-, it seems like humans don't fare super well at the uh, the, the Valdaren Markov wedding.
0: But yeah, this card seems fantastic. It also is going to slot, that has been mentioned, it fits into a handful of vectors. It's going to slot pretty decently into the next archetype we're going to talk about. But it also seems to slot relatively well into this form, this archetype with uh, the gain life. It's also going to probably slot well into black-red with the blood token generation. Seems like it's going to be a player in a handful of, handful of decks here.
1: Next up, indulge me here, down with the thickness. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> We've got Black Green. I mean, Black Green was once my all-time favorite archetype. I remember, like, drafting multiple Winding Constrictors in, a, in an old draft and just, like, popping off every time. It You just always wound up with so much great value and the ability to recur these high, like, synergy cards and put counters everywhere and do all this. But the last few sets have had some swings and misses or just just okay Black Green archetypes. This is our next stab at a uh, a new take on black-green. We'll see if this one is better than the last few. This is uh, Big Butts, Big Toughness, and is pretty well exemplified by our ancient Lumbernaut friend here that's two black-green for a tree folk at Uncommon. It's a 1-4. Each creature you control with toughness greater than its power assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. So this thing at base is a 4-4 uh, when, you know, dealing combat damage. But that's it so this is dubious to me for a few reasons you really need the payoffs unlike like i don't know good tribal creatures or life gain where those things you know you're playing creatures they're playing life gain if you just play a bunch of one fours that have no other text on them and then hope to draw your payoff that isn't always the best strategy in the world having big toughness doesn't win you the game on its own in fact it takes you a long time to win the game (laughs) if that's your strategy uh, on its own, this is a four-four, but like compare that to uh, to the Sigardian Paladin, which is also a four mana four-four that just does like ten other awesome things.
0: Yeah, I mean this this is a, a, a signpost that really needs to be in its niche, right? You you cannot hmm. play this card in anything. That said, it is the card that will turn on all your other big butt stuff, so it is gonna be crucial in that deck, I believe. We do have a card, the first one we're going to talk about here, that, that also helps with getting, kind of speeding things up in terms of getting your opponent dead when you're playing Big Butts. But I, this has a special place in my heart. Not particularly the black-green, but the Big Butts sub-theme is one that I've gravitated towards since I've been playing Magic. I used to play a pretty awesome Bant Big Butts deck in Standard that I kind of built on my own and actually did pretty well with. So I'm, I'm excited to see this one and how it works but yeah i mean the ancient lumbernaut here is definitely a card that needs some help it, it is not going to get the job done on its own that said one thing of note that i don't think you are you and i have talked about ben is that this only causes creatures with toughness greater than their power to assign combat damage equal to their toughness so if you have mm-hmm. a six three it's not going to make it a three three in combat Previous yep. iterations of this sort of effect have just changed, just all you know, creatures just assign combat damage equal to their toughness instead of power. This does have that caveat that if you have a creature with higher power than toughness, it's not going to downgrade it. Yeah, that's nice.
1: I, one thing I can say about this archetype is it's giving us a lot of good draft chat for the draft draft cube, which does actually have a big butts archetype in it. So sure I don't is. know. We'll keep your eyes on the draft draft cube. There there might be some updates and/or changes coming to that in the near future. First up is catapult fodder. This is 2 in a black for a 1-5 Zombie at Uncommon. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures that each have toughness greater than their power, transform Catapult Fodder. This one is the first one, so you really only need two more. And it doesn't seem too hard. I mean, there's a lot of these training creatures that have lower power as well. This thing flips into Catapult Captain. It is a 2-6 Zombie. It has the activated ability 2 in a black, tap, sacrifice another creature target opponent loses life equal to the sacrificed creature's toughness. Yeah, I mean, that will kill an opponent. Uh, Eventually, you can just, if you manage to flip this, I mean, if you have 10 toughness on the board, that is a reasonable threat. And the toughness that's there on the board already does kind of prevent your opponent from killing you while you get this thing going.
0: Yeah, exactly. And by default, you'll have two other creatures on board to throw with this thing just by nature of, of getting it here. This is the way you're flinging those big butts creatures. I'm I'm excited. This is going to be a fantastic way to win games.
1: <laughs> if only there were creatures with high toughness and low power. Uh, I wonder if we got any of those this set. Oh, oh, gosh. oh, wait a minute. If you had
0: two of these on the board, oh my goodness.
1: I mean, let's talk about Unhallowed Phalanx. Well, that, that's
0: what I mean. You have two of these on the board?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about it. Four black for a one thirteen. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a zombie soldier at common. It enters the battlefield tapped.
0: Fling it. Ooh. Let's go. Let's chuck it. Pumpkin chucking. Let's do it.
1: But it's like is this? I don't know, dude. I'm not, I'm not entirely sold. It's a one thirteen. That is just that's just so wacky, right? That like it enters the battlefield tapped. If you're getting beaten down. This does the one, This doesn't do the one thing that you want a big butt creature to do, which is block the turn you play it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm very curious why they felt the need to put that line of text on this. Like this card, very well could have just been a four and a black one thirteen at common, and I feel like it would have been just fine. We'll see when we get our hands on the format. I expect that there's a, an intentional reason that was that line of text was placed there. I don't see anything getting through this like ever is there anything that can get bigger than 13 power in this format i don't think so uh
1: no it it would take a lot it'd be pretty difficult now this functionally removes an attacking creature from from combat right like this this blanks pretty much anything even something like a 6-6 that has like the threat to have counters put on it or threat to have a like get 30 and first strike that's nowhere close to attacking no. through a 13. And
0: and if you happen to have the Lumber Knot, it's a 13 13 that just stops <laughs> your opponent from attacking, period.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose combined with either of our uncommon payoffs up above, this is pretty stupid. Maybe that's why. Maybe they just didn't like the play pattern of Lumber Knot into 5 mana 13 13. Maybe that was just a little too egregious. But still like this does die to removal it dies to the usual stuff it dies to unconditional removal oh it needs uh. a lot to
0: be good I, I, it just it it does do the thing pretty well in that nothing can get through it so if you do need to buy yourself some time but can waste a turn it'll be okay if you really can't afford to waste even even one turn then you're you're kind of screwed but mm-hmm. i i don't think it's an amazing card but i think it will be good in the decks that play it maybe
1: this is one of those decks where it's very uncommon specific. Like, nobody else is going to want Catapult Fodder. No one else is going to want Ancient lumbernot. I think there will be this this once-in-a-blue-moon thing where this is similar to green-black elves in Kaldheim, right? <laughs> Which is kind of uh, telling for our poor green-black archetype historically. But it really needs these particular cards, these particular combinations to come together. And, I mean, every once in a while, uh, it'll happen. I suppose... Sometimes the problem with elves was that other people wanted them. (laughs) Here, it'll be the opposite. When no one wants this stuff, you'll get a very good deck. And, you know, this can win games. Will it be wacky? Will it be fun? Yes. Are we going to try to force it? Absolutely. Will it get you a high win percentage? Probably not. But it looks fun. Next up is Dormant Grove. This is three and a green for an enchantment at uncommon. Again, a lot of uncommon payoffs here. At the beginning of combat on your turn, Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then if that creature has toughness six or greater, transform Dormant Grove. So just on its front side, this is putting a plus one, plus one counter on a creature every combat. That's that's not too bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a four mana enchantment that does something. I mean, you play this on main one, you are getting that counter that turn. Now, one counter is not worth four mana, but it does happen every single turn. So you're getting a little bit of value out of it up front, and then you're getting a lot of value later This'll also be good in, in green-white, I assume, because it's gonna dump counters on things. It'll make your your creatures able to train other things better, and then you eventually just get a, a nice big creature out of it. This is yeah, this seems pretty decent.
1: Yeah, and that's just the front. It also says that whole thing about if it has toughness six or greater transform it. The backside is a 3-6 vigilance tree folk, and it says other creatures you control have vigilance, which, you know, does pair really well with that high toughness. I don't know, I almost I almost feel like I'm gonna put in some effort to keep it on the front side. I, I want to keep getting those counters. Forget the three six. This thing can die in combat. Give me a give me a bunch of counters every turn.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird. You kind of don't want it to flip in some capacity. I wonder if like if this was just too good as like a two mana enchantment that put a counter on something every turn, and didn't have any of the other text. But in yeah. any case, my biggest gripe with this card is that they templated the backside to say vigilance, and then other creatures you control have vigilance instead of just creatures you control have vigilance.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next up is Apprentice Sharpshooter, two in a green for a one-four human archer at common. It has reach and training. All right, I mean, is- it, it can train up. It can. Uh, it can attack. It can block. It's versatile. It's low value. This is like a C to C minus, I think. But I think you'll probably want it in this deck. It's a three drop. It gets on the board early. It starts that process of gumming up the ground and making sure your your opponents don't really have profitable attacks.
0: So on its face, this is a card that is confusing because it's a one four and it has training, which is like cool because it can be trained very easily. It only has one power, but it only has one power. So attacking with it doesn't really do you anything. The thing is, if you also happen to have a Lumbernaut, it actually attacks as a four-four and can still be trained as having one power. So yeah. it attacks; it'll attack as a five-five in that case, and it will scale very nicely in that way. The problem is, as I've said, with pretty much every card we've rev- we've looked at for this archetype, they need the Lumber knot. And <laughs> yeah. If you if you yeah. manage to get the Lumbernaut in the deck and you manage to draw the Lumbernaut and cast the Lumbernaut, and it happens to hit the battlefield, your opponent may just remove it, and then your entire game plan unravels. Like, I don't see this deck doing very well if it doesn't have multiple copies of Mm Lumbernaut, but I'm happy to be wrong about that. I would love to be wrong about that.
1: Is it weird that I'm almost more excited for this deck in Sealed, where you would know, like, if you open two or three Lumbernauts, you're like, okay, I'm doing it. Like, Or or if you open even like one or two knots and then maybe one or two of these other payoffs like Dormant Grove or an Unhallowed Phalanx or two or a Captain, then you're like, oh, okay, I'm in. But in drafts, this is going to be a weird one.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, on the bright side, all the stuff is massive, so it's going to be hard for your opponents to attack through any of it. You may have time to find the lumber knot before you can like turn on your engines basically and just be like one of those sorts of situations where you're just biding your time, defending, 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 defending. All of a sudden, you know, you you turn on your weapons and you just go to like start attacking forever. That hopefully will be the case here and, and something that we see happen a lot, but I'm skeptical. Our next archetype here is green blue or millipede, as it were. The, and actually, that's very aptly named. Um, our uncommon here is Vile Spawn Spider, the signpost uncommon. It's green blue for a 2 3 spider at uncommon. It has reach at the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. And then it has an activated ability of 2 green blue, tap sack it. Create a 1 1 green insect creature token for each creature card in your graveyard activate only as a sorcery it's a spider that does a spawning it's 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 a spider spider spawning spawning. yeah Yeah, that's great another big gripe here this is a huge flavor fail spiders aren't insects
1: (laughs) is that your problem with this card you're telling me a two mana two three is a you're you're offended by this
0: i'm offended by the flavor of it yeah they should have made it like an arachnid creature token or something
1: like, think of it this way. It's a spider, it caught a bunch of insects, and then when it dies, all the insects like scurry out of the web or something no, no, like no, that. No. That's not how that works. <laughs> okay. okay. In any case,
0: it's it's an interesting card. I I like what it has going on. It's obviously overstated and over abilityed for its mana cost. Typical green-blue things. It it the mill thing we'll see, right? This card in and of itself doesn't tell us anything about what mill payoffs there are this is just a mill enabler and making a bunch of green like one ones probably won't do anything realistically like you 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 sack this and make like eight one ones and then your opponent just eats four of them a turn until you don't have any left like i don't know what you do with them i guess i guess you block maybe i I, I
1: like i like having eight one ones around this feels like it could do something plus this is kind of it enables itself right eventually this will get outclassed. it might even be able to attack for a while uh, maybe it can even block a uh, Spirit or something, keep one of those at bay. And then when it's eventually not useful anymore, yeah, sure, you can cash in and go super wide. Uh, I don't know how well this deck will be able to take advantage of it, but we did see that that other, I guess, 1-1 insect sub-theme. Also, isn't this perfect for our cube? It's a spider. Yes. It, it's a, kind of like an off-theme blue-green card. We have a graveyard synergy. So it's, I mentioned spiders is a, a theme in the deck, too, in, in the cube. Yeah, I, I yeah, like this one a lot for a
0: cube. Um, our first card here is Reclusive Taxidermist. This is one of a green for a human druid at uncommon. It's a one, two, and it gets plus three, plus two, as long as there are four or more creature cards in your graveyard. So it'll be a four, four at that point. And then it taps to add one of any, add one man of any color. This is a weird card. I I, mm-hmm. I like it in that it scales well. And it it, it is a decent payoff for the, the thing that you want to be doing here, right? But this sort of effect on a card that also taps for mana feels weird. Like, not that it's bad, but it just feels weird.
1: Yeah, I believe this has happened once before. I want to say it was Werebear, and it's like a threshold card from a long time ago. I think it gets like plus two plus two if you have seven or more creature cards in your graveyard or seven or more cards in your graveyard. I forget the threshold text. I want to say it's seven or more cards in graveyard. But yeah, I like this. Uh, th- some of the biggest problems with mana dorks is that they're not very really useful in the late game. This one, you might play on turn two, get to cast a four drop turn three. In fact, that makes it pretty great in uh, in werewolves too. And then in the late game, once you traded off a bunch of stuff, this thing is just, what, a four four for two? Nice.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a solid card. Our next card here is Spore Crawler. It's two and a green for a 3-2 fungus at common. When it dies, draw a card. Yeah, I'm here for that. That is uh, just going to be an auto-include in most green decks in this format, and you're going to be pretty happy about it.
1: Yeah, uh, it pairs decently well with training stuff. You don't mind attacking and trading this thing off to get a counter on one of your stuff. This actually doesn't mind getting exploited either. I mean, it replaces itself immediately. Maybe it's being blanked on the ground. This just seems like a a nice kind of glue card. It's something that every green deck is going to be pretty happy having just, I don't know, a handful of copies of. Like, do you ever cut this card? It's a three mana three two that replaces
0: itself. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you play as many as you can get. Our next card here is Skywarp Scob. This is three blue blue for a two five zombie drake at common. It has flying. And when it enters the battlefield, you may exile two creature cards from your graveyard. If you do draw a card, I am so here for this thing. Five mana two five flyer. Draws you a card if you need it to. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I've I, I noticed kind of a, a slight sub theme of scabs. They tend to interact with the graveyard somehow. Whether it's like exiling cards from them, or maybe you have to exile cards from your graveyard as like an additional cost. It makes sense. You're like stitching together this zombie thing. So. You gotta obviously take some bodies and staple them together in order to, to get this thing going. Uh, I love the art on this, it looks really sick. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a five mana flyer that again replaces itself. We're seeing, again, really solid intrinsic card advantage to some of these creatures. Pretty natural that blue green gets that. It, this feels kind of like a value town deck that also has the graveyard interaction, stuff with self mill, things like that.
0: And our last card here for this archetype is Screaming Swarm. This is 5 in a blue for a 4-4 bird horror at Uncommon. It has flying. Whenever you attack with one or more creatures, target player mills that many cards. Then you can pay 2 in a blue to put it from your graveyard into your library second from the top. So it's essentially a color-shifted bookworm it doesn't get you any life but it does put itself back in the deck and uh, it lets you mill so it's an interesting sort of thing you you're not unhappy to mill this in fact you're actually probably pretty happy to mill this Mm -hmm. counts as a creature card for the vile spawn spider you can get it back later and it's it's a card that you don't want until later in the game anyway the mill thing i'm curious if it's going to be feasible to actually mill your opponent out with this Mm. but i don't know i mean in the in the say blue white make a 1000000 one deck when you can oh, attack yeah. with like a ton of stuff and don't care if they die and then they just mill half their deck. I'm looking forward to build that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's cool that this thing targets players, so maybe you want to mill yourself. There, there's some other... Like, cool self-mill payoffs. We didn't put it on here, but there's a 5-mana millipede, which is where I got the uh, the name for the archetype. Get it? Like, mill, millipede. Uh, I think it's like a 5-mana 2-2. It comes in with counters on it for each creature in your graveyard. And, uh, oh, before that, when it ETBs originally, you, you mill yourself for 3. So, yeah, there's a lot of cool support for self-mill. This seems like a, a nice one. This is a finisher that you don't mind if it gets milled. Sometimes that's the problem with these these mill decks. I mean, we, we tend to not really care if we get milled. Statistically, it shouldn't matter too much. But every once in a while you will mill one of your better cards, one of your better finishers, and you go, shoot, well, now I don't have too many other ways to end the game. That that kind of makes my removal a little bit better. Listening doesn't actually care if it gets removed or milled. This I don't know, even just as a four four that keeps coming back. That's that's rough. And then the add in the upside of the whole mill stuff
0: looks nice. And it's a flyer with all that going on as well, so. It doesn't get blanked on the ground.
1: Ugh, I'm going to let you take the next one. It's, this, this feels like your cup of tea.
0: Sure is. This We are going on to blue-red here. Spells galore. Our signpost uncommon here is Wandering Mine. This is one blue-red for a 2-1 flying horror at uncommon. When Wandering Mine enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I love this sort of thing. I mean, it's a flyer. Th- its power and toughness are largely irrelevant, but six cards is a lot. I mean, that really lets you look at a solid amount of your deck, and you're pretty much always going to hit I- on this. Like, I-, I would be very surprised that a deck playing this card is not going to hit when it ETBs.
1: Mm-hmm. This will often be a three mana two one flyer that puts a uh, that puts a kill spell in your hand. <laughs> like. <Yep. laughs> That's that's really good. Now, this seems like a bit of a weird twist. First of all, the whole non-creature thing, uh, rather than just instants and sorceries. This almost feels more value-driven, I guess, because now it cares about if you're casting enchantments or artifacts or other weird stuff, too. I don't know. It, it feels like it's supported by several of the main mechanics, right? Like, for example, exploit. You'll have access to the blue exploit card, so you maybe can do some, some wacky graveyard stuff. Uh, or, of course, with Disturb, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that is the big thing here that we want to drive home, right? This archetype as a whole, it's, it's spells matter, but it's non-creature spells matter. It doesn't care about instants or sorceries specifically. Most of the cards that care about things that would otherwise care about instants and sorceries care about any non-creature spell, so artifacts, enchantments. And that likely has a lot to do with the all the auras that are floating around in this format. Now, our first card here is Whispering Wizard. This is three and a blue for a 3-2 human wizard at Uncommon. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. This ability triggers only once each turn. You know, I frankly, I don't care about that. I mean, this card's just good. It's a 4-mana 3-2, makes you a bunch of spirits. I'm happy with this. And again, it's non-creature, not instant or sorcery.
1: Those of you that have played with Murmuring Mystic know that this type of effect is usually better than it looks. That that card in particular was just very tough to kill. It had like 5 toughness. Which actually would have made it pretty good in this set. But uh I think the wizard is is gonna be pretty solid. Again, this one's more fragile, but one one white flyers are, are very real. One white flyer is like a that's like two thirds of a card, right?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting actually, we we see all these big butts creatures, but then there are also a lot of creatures that are more aggressively statted, maybe to kind of offset that so you can't just attack. I don't know, it's a little weird. It makes the some of the big butt stuff a little bit nicer. Like two fives are very, very good in this format. Mm, yeah. Our next card here is Chill of the Grave. This is two and a blue for an instant at common. This spell costs one less to cast if you control a zombie. Tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step and draw a card. Now, this is essentially what was it called? Chilling Grasp? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. And we were happy to pay three mana for that before... Now we can just also pay two. <laughs> if we happen to have a zombie, Like this card's going to be good in pretty much every blue deck. Very happy to see this in this way. I mean, it's better if you have a zombie around, so you will want to try to find a way to get that. This is probably largely going to be seen in the blue-black decks, but certainly uh, does does fill this role here as well.
1: Yeah, blue seems removal-light. Look to cards like this to, to actually make sure you can... Interact with your opponent's board in a in a productive way.
0: Yeah, and it's actually worth mentioning. We haven't actually mentioned removal spells at all yet. Typically one of the black decks will have like a massive like the 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 common removal spell or something listed in the, at this point, and we haven't talked about them. Removal is really light in this format.
1: Yeah, none of them are, are super into the main archetypes, not like something like Eaten Alive, where it was right. very clearly paired fantastically with, with the decay tokens and blue black. In this set, removal is, it's just back to kind of being normal removal, I think. And in, in some cases, it actually feels a little bit light.
0: Yeah. Our next card here is Kessig Flame Breather. This is one and a red for a 1-3 human shaman at common. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, Kessig Flame Breather deals one damage to each opponent. So we've seen this effect a million times. It's good enough to block, like this will probably block a handful of three drops. It's definitely going to block a handful of two drops and it's just going to sit back and deal damage to your opponent. Also, it does say each, so pay attention to that if you're playing two-headed giant at (laughs) pre-release.
1: Sometimes these cards underperform. I'm a little more hopeful for this one. This does trigger off of every non-creature spell. So you don't have to have that critical mass of instants and sorceries that sometimes other people are fighting over. Now you can pick up some of the non-creature spells as well. I don't know. These cards can be fun when you slowly ping your opponent to death. Maybe, Maybe we'll actually get one this time.
0: And the last card here is Reckless Impulse at one and a red for a sorcery at common. Exile the top two cards of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. This is a crucial little clause on these sorts of effects. A lot of these are until the end of your turn, you can you can play them. Um, and in this case, you get best of both worlds. It's until your next turn, and it's play those cards. So if you happen to hit lands, you can you can use them as well.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend casting this on turn two ever, yeah. That uh, unless you're very, very brave. If you think you're going to hit exactly land three drop, then be my guest and send me a screenshot. But, you know, this feels like a really nice late game top deck, especially when your goal is to cast a bunch of non-creature spells. This will be a non-creature spell and then find you maybe some more non-creature spells.
0: All right, this next one's for you. Uh, I'll leave this one to you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I like this one. This is a, a fun twist on our usual Boros. This is a dance for two. We're gonna start off with my, my buddy here, Markov Waltzer, who looks you know like a, a pretty dashing guy, looks like he's ready to dance. Two red-white for a 1-3 vampire at uncommon, with flying and haste. At the beginning of combat on your turn, up the two target creatures you control, each get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. So this thing by itself, if you just play it on an empty board, uh, it targets itself. So this can be a two red white for a uh, a two three flying haste. Now you don't actually have to target this at all. This thing has flying and haste by itself, but you could give up to two other target creatures. You could just give like your your two drop and your three drop, both one o oh, until end of turn. Now this this pairs with some some interesting stuff, of course counters in white. The vampires attacking in red, or not counters, uh, training itself. This could help like a, a creature, maybe train another creature that otherwise wasn't going to. And you get a lot of control over that. So that's a cool little overlap. This also hints at a bit of a weird twist on red white, which is the two creatures attacking sub theme. I'm interpreting this as like a dance sub theme because a lot of the cards like show dancing on them or, or you know I guess the white ones more just show humans just smashing things but the red ones show vampires engaged in dancing so I thought that was pretty cute and uh, some, some pretty fun flavor having two people dance and, and attack together I like it. Let's start off with Alluring Suitor. This is two in a red for a 2-3 vampire. When you attack with exactly two creatures transform Alluring Suitor. Looks like he's asking may I have this dance. On the back, Deadly Dancer. It's a 3-3 Vampire with Trample. When this creature transforms into Deadly Dancer, add Red Red. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. It has the activated ability, Red Red. Deadly Dancer and another target creature each get plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. This is dope. This gives you so much control over combat.
0: Yeah, so the play pattern with this card is draw your card for turn 3, play a land, play the Alluring Suitor, pass the turn, comes back to you play your four drop or play your fourth land attack with this and your two drop or whatever it immediately transforms into deadly dancer and then you have that two mana which could be used to buff the deadly dancer and your two drop or you could just hold that mana because it also allows you to to keep it as steps and phases end and then play a six drop on turn four
1: that is nuts if you ever get to get off that six drop thing you're gonna feel so far ahead or even like two more three
0: drops oh yeah you have a lot of flexibility
1: if your opponent makes some, like, maybe poor blocks, you can just activate that ability to get that two power split among two creatures. And then, I don't know, it's turn four, right? If you have two mountains available, you can even pump it again to, to get four total power on this. And then we play a two-drop afterwards. Like, this is, a, this is a dope card. I'm excited to try this one out. Now, again, it's an awful blocker. <laughs> That's clearly not what, what you're supposed to do with this thing. But if you're trying to be aggressive, this card looks awesome. Now, who might are... <laughs> our friendly vampire friend the uh, dancing with. I'm willing to bet it's probably Blood Petal Celebrant, which is one in the red for a 2-1 vampire at common. It has first strike as long as it's attacking. When it dies, create a blood token. Sweet. I mean, this pairs so well. Like, doesn't this curve out just work nicely? It oh, has yeah. first strike when it's attacking, so that, uh, that additional power will just get put onto the first strike creature, which means basically nothing can block it. That threat of activation is even bigger than. And even if your deadly dancer trades off and you play like a like a five drop or a six drop after, and then you got in for like four first strike damage, this is a really brutal start. I don't even know if the high toughnesses in this set will be able to keep up.
0: Yeah, that that's a really fast, nasty punch. Excited to get that to happen a few times.
1: Next up is Militia Rallier. This is two and a white for a three three human soldier at common. It can't attack alone. And whenever it attacks, untap target creature. Nice.
0: Yeah, I like these these sorts of effects, untapping creatures. You know, it's a virtual vigilance. The can't attack alone thing is, I guess, technically a downside, but typically won't be a problem. I mean, when it's, it's, it, when it's the only creature on the board, it'll be a problem. But this archetype doesn't seem like it'll have that issue very often.
1: Yeah, and even then, this thing blocks perfectly well. It doesn't have to block uh, with another creature. You can just use it as a 3-3 defender. But honestly, th- this thing is best when it's attacking. Uh, and that, like you said, that cool little vigilance thing. Or maybe you get to untap some some cool activated ability or or whatever. So again, speaking of other creatures that are good at attacking, Estwald Shieldbasher, that's three and a white for a 4-2 human soldier at common. When it attacks, you may pay one. If you do, it gains indestructible until end of turn. I mean, if you're looking for for creatures that are down to dance, this thing, it's going to dance and survive pretty much every time. Like, even if uh, it, it doesn't get through for a profitable attack, this is one way to get those double attack triggers, some of which are also available at rare and, and higher rarities like Uncommon.
0: Oh, yeah, it's great. And I mean, it, that that certainly negates the downside of having two toughness, makes it easier to die to removal. But come on, you can give this thing indestructible every turn. It's fantastic.
1: Also wears auras and counters really well.
0: Yes, it does. Now, notably, it doesn't have indestructible. So, you know, you only get that. For the turn, and it only triggers once once you've attacked with it, declared attacks with it. Mm-hmm. But um, so it does give your opponents windows to 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 kind of cheat the system, as it were. But definitely going to be a fun card in this archetype.
1: Let's talk colorless. There's a handful of cards I wanted to mention just because I don't know that they seem like things that people might be curious about. First up, we've got foreboding statue. This is three mana for a one two construct. It's an artifact creature at uncommon. This is a this is a weird one. I don't know how you feel about this. You can tap it to add one mana of any color, put an omen counter on foreboding statue. So we have two mana dorks in this set at uncommon that tap for mana of any color. Hmm. I don't know. I mean there's not a lot of three colors. Five color, color big
0: butts, here we go.
1: <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. But it's just something to note. Maybe we'll wind up with like a late game deck that is able to splash other things. I don't know. I could see a world where the the black green deck even maybe it's able to really leverage those high toughness things. Maybe it just blanks every attacker and it makes it such that they can splash these ridiculous bombs in the late game. Thanks to mana fixing like this that they know they have time to draw. But anyway, uh, at the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more Omen counters on Foreboding Statue, untap it then transform it. On the back, it becomes Forsaken Thresher, which looks pretty sweet. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add one mana of any color. It's a 5-5.
0: Yeah, seems fine. I don't think the card's exceptional in any real capacity, but it does play a role in those decks that are trying to get splashes going. We don't really have any traditional fixing, though we do have that one green card that can tap for mana of any color as well. So, you know, if you want fixing, this is going to be the card to get, I guess, if you're not in green. And it's a reasonable body. I mean, it's a 5-5 five, five is, is big, and it still keeps generating you mana at that point. So... Yeah. Yeah,
1: this uh it does the same thing as the other dork we talked about. It negates the main downside of mana dork's, which is that it turns into a huge threat in late game. This is a mana dork that you actually end up your opponent ends up being afraid of this in the late game. A five-five is no joke.
0: Yeah, and it's it is worth just reiterating this is a creature. I consistently forget that this is a creature. I keep thinking it's just a mana rock that turns into a creature, but the front side is also a creature.
1: Yeah, I think that makes this a lot better than uh I think it looks like this looks like the kind of card that is, uh, uh, I usually throw these ones by the wayside, but this is an actual mana dork. This one might might actually uh, you know pull its weight. Next up, Boarded Window. I've been feeling this is going to be a bit of a hot topic, a bit of a controversial one. Let's talk about it. 3 mana for an artifact at uncommon. Creatures attacking you get minus 1, minus 0. At the beginning of each end step, if you were dealt 4 or more damage this turn, Exile, Boarded Window. Where do we start?
0: Yeah, so Ben and I have talked about this card already at length with each other, but to to kind of cut through the chaff, as it were, Ben's relatively high on it. I'm relatively low on it, and I think that's just where we're gonna be for the whole format. I would be surprised if either of us shift too much on this, but my 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 issue with this card is that giving all your giving creatures that are attacking you minus one minus zero isn't really huge. I mean, there is admittedly a lot of ways to generate one ones in this format. There are tons of insects there are tons of spirits this card will do quite well against those but there are also a lot of cards with trample and ways to give cards trample and a lot of beefy cards that attack for quite a bit more than one power or damage in total and then this thing just gets blown up like i could easily see this come down on three your opponent play something on four maybe that hasty waltzer guy and give a bunch of power extra power to things or has already been training up their board they swing through and then your three drop just gets destroyed and that's it all it right just feels i, I
1: will say this is definitely a skill tester for example i think it'll almost always be incorrect to play it on turn three
0: yeah fair i, I don't think that'll be very good use of your mana in that situation but i just see it i, I see it being a better sideboard card than anything because you can bring mm. it in against decks that are good at generating those one ones Outside of that, I don't... I mean, yeah, limiting the amount of power that your opponent's team has is is good, but when it's, this just gets blown up and it's not a permanent, like, anti-anthem, I'm not too thrilled about it.
1: Put this in the butts deck. Isn't it great in the butts deck? Like, your, your opponent's stuff gets even smaller, even but less you effective You don't care at that her. point,
0: though. All your stuff can block all their things profitably anyway.
1: Yeah, but still, like, it is a nice effect, And but then even then, nothing is getting through. I don't know. I I think you could like. I would rather play, a play copy of this.
0: I would rather play put the three mana into a one five. Like the 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 one four yeah. reach is a three drop. The one four reach with training is a three drop. I'd much rather have that than this. Oh, I'm not
1: saying you're gonna cut this for or you're gonna cut a one four reach for this. But I'm saying you might also have it. Like th- think of this as like a top end. I, I do see this really shutting down a lot of the flyers, a lot of the tokens. this can fully negate whole cards worth of value. And then it does make attacking much harder. Turning a three-three into a two-three, it makes it worse. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is a weird one. I want to see how it plays out. I don't really particularly want to play it myself, too. I'd rather not. Yeah, this is one I need. I
0: need somebody this. to show me this being really good before I'm willing to to con- be convinced that it is.
1: Yeah, you definitely. I mean, you clearly don't want this in a aggro deck. Like this isn't really good in the aggro deck. In a mid-range deck it, it can help you win some some tricky combats. And in a controlling deck, like I think butts and maybe some of these other uh these other late game decks that are looking to assemble some synergy. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned as a sideboard card. Also, I don't know about this uh this whole boarded window thing. First of all, what are those? That like devils trying to get in? Couldn't one of them grab mean... that thing that's in there?
0: from a from a flavor perspective it's great i mean it it makes it harder for them to get at your home or like destroy your home but they deal damage to the the window or the board they deal damage to the boards and and then it gets destroyed like that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah yeah for sure but like i don't know i feel like if if the thing you're trying to keep keep out is able to bite fully around the boards you place on the window
0: which is my (laughs) point the card's not very effective all
1: right. Well, speaking of not very effective, let's move on to one last uncommon or uh, one last comment I want to talk about here. Ceremonial knife. It's one mana for an artifact. Think, it's an equipment.
0: I think you mean Umizawa's Gite. <laughs> Are you comparing this card to Umizawa's Gite? Is that how you pronounce that? I've never known how the actual word is pronounced. I think so. I think so. No, I was making a joke. One of, one of our f- friends in the Discord made a joke about this card being Gite.
1: Oh, is it now? <laughs> uh... <laughs>
0: I don't know about that. Not so much. Not so so much.
1: it's a it gets plus one plus plus oh, uh, zero. Sorry, equipped creature gets plus one plus plus oh zero and has whenever this creature deals combat damage, create a blood token. And it has equipped for two. I mean,
0: I just think you're gonna have better ways to make blood. You don't. You don't need this.
1: This is a repeated outlet. The thing yeah, is just plus one, plus oh feels so minimal in this format, especially when there's all these huge toughness things like werewolves and the black-green stuff. Uh, it'll get you one no matter like, what, even if you just ram your creature in, and it could give something in your hand cycling, but, like, this just feels like a bit of a mess.
0: Like, would you pay two mana for a card that said, make a blood token? Like, just one card that was two mana, make a blood token?
1: No, definitely not.
0: This is essentially that. You just get to cast yeah, it every turn. Yeah, uh, And you might have to throw yeah. away creatures. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: you're starting to swing me now. It's starting to sound a little, little better. But no, no, I'm trying right. to say it's bad.
0: I'm trying to say it's really bad.
1: Yeah, you're starting to argue me in the other direction. I'm like, ooh, if I'm getting a blood token every turn, that could be a fun payoff. I mean, sometimes you will put this in like a super heavy blood payoff deck, right? If you can put this in a deck that has the uh, the, the the black vampire that attacks uh, the blood crazed socialite, if you put this on wedding security and just get to like draw a card every turn when it deals damage, then you've really assembled something. Maybe put a copy of this in a deck if you have a ton of those ways to really get value off blood. But otherwise, I, I don't think you should try this one out. I think I'd rather be wrong about this one and I feel like I'm not missing out on much.
0: All right, let's get into our top commons here. First up, we've got white. Overall, lacking a bit on aggressive removal. Aggredax really, rarely get anything like that um, now that we have these sort of <laughs> archetypal cards. But um, our first card here is Fierce Retribution. This is one and a white for an instant at common. Destroy target attacking creature. And it has cleave for five and a white where you remove the attacking phrase. So for six mana, this just says destroy target creature. For two mana, it's destroy target attacking creature. This card's solid. I think it's going to be played in every white deck. It's probably the best common removal spell in white.
1: Yeah, uh, there's the other one that the, the two and a white for uh, an aura that enchants a creature, makes it can't attack or block, and then you can pay like four or five to exile it. Like in a set with exploit, isn't that just setting yourself up to fail? It's it's basically asking to to get down a card.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you need you would need to be able to activate that in response to the exploit trigger, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, unless you have like eight mana open, right? Uh, I'm a little dubious. But we really see these archetypal cards. Like, there's always been a like in recent sets. There's been like a destroy a tapped creature type thing, or like a you know something like a deal five to an attacking creature, something that deals with an attacker. There's a the pacifism effect which in this set and last set, uh, last set being Candle Trap, I thought were pretty bad. And then the overpriced one, the one that costs like seven and sometimes gives them a token or or like you gain three life or something like that. Fierce Retribution kind of takes two of those and smushes them into one. I guess that makes it slightly better. Um, it probably is one of the best white common removal spells, but honestly, I'm, I'm more excited for the next one, Traveling Minister. I think this card is sick. Like, I, hot take, but I love this card. One mana, one one, again, it's the one that taps... Akuchu Control gets plus 1 and plus 0 until end of turn. You gain a life. Activate only as a sorcery. It's a human. I think this enables a bunch of decks. Now, I don't think this is like one of the best commons value-wise by itself. I do think this is going to be sought after because of how well it enables multiple of the white archetypes. It doesn't really fit super well into blue-white, which doesn't seem to care much about anything uh, to do with... Well, I guess it might have some training stuff in there, but uh, and I guess, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you could start pumping your flyers and make them into 2-1 flyers. That that does make them better, so they can chip in for more. Okay, it's definitely worse there, but still a card people are going to want.
0: And then our last white card here is Griff Rider. This is two and a white for 2-1 human knight at common. It has flying and training. This is just good. I mean, train any, any way to make flyers bigger is going to be great. You don't particularly care about this having low toughness because it's in the air, and uh, this will be a fun one to train. Just yeah, when like this uh
1: common when this becomes a three mana three two flyer at common, if you just train this once, you did it. Like you got there. Three mana three two flyer at common is sick. That is gonna end the game very fast. Next up in blue, blue is really lacking in removal. There's the one Aura. Um, I believe it's I don't have it on here. One of the blue, uh, when it enters the battlefield you do like mill two or something. And then the enchanted creature gets minus x minus o where x is the number of cards in your graveyard or i think it's cards not creature cards uh, either way even if it is cards which i believe it is i just don't think putting auras on creatures to remove them is smart in a set full of exploit like maybe you're you're, you're playing against like a red green opponent and it does awesome honestly play best of three and bring in these cards like i believe the one is called Sigarda's imprisonment and the other one uh whatever the blue one's called who knows Make small or something like that. Bring them out of the sideboard. Use them against uh, red and green decks, right? But if you're playing against random opponents in best of one, you're gonna play against a bunch of people playing exploit cards and they're gonna go Oh, you you put an aura on my creature to remove it? Thank you. (laughs) Like now I get to blow you out entirely. I get to use this creature for value. What it it lacks in removal It does seem to make up for in like I said value. There's some cool exploit stuff. There's some cool disturb stuff There's a lot of intrinsic two-for-ones Counter spells kind of take care of some of the removal. I mean, there's Syncopate, which is one of uh, what I believe is going to be a top blue common. That's X blue for an instant, a common. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X. If that spell is counted this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. Takes care of everything, makes sure it doesn't come back. Sometimes you'll use this on turn two to counter your opponent's 3-drop. Sometimes you'll use this on turn six to counter your opponent's six drop. It's very flexible, very versatile, and it usually plays out pretty well. Next up is Lantern Bearer. That's the one blue 1-1 one one spirit that we said can disturb on the backside to give something flying. This just looks fun. <laughs> I, I want this to be a good one. This is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm hoping for. I really hope Lantern Bearer is one of the top three. But honestly, it just seems like a really good rate. I can see this performing well in pretty much any blue deck.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Last but not least, one that almost made it into our, our blue-red uh, archetype, but I figured we'd rather just talk about it in the top commons. Cruel Witness, two blue-blue for a three-three flying to Bird Horror, and that's already honestly, enough.
0: I mean, four mana three-three flyer <laughs> at common is fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, somehow, despite honestly everything working against it, Ginny Windseer was the best blue common. Honestly, maybe one of the best blue cards in Afr because of these stats. So that's a a pretty good track record to start out on. Also, this is really going to own the sky. If your opponent is doing something like playing 3 mana 1 4s and 5 mana one they're going to look pretty silly when you play an efficient flyer like this. Uh, So this has flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Awesome. Did you get the dumb value? This is way better than scrying. Imagine casting a non-creature spell Seeing a lantern bearer on top of your library and thinking, oh, okay, it's the point in the game where a 1-1 flyer isn't the best. I'll just dump this in my graveyard, and then I can jump one of my creatures next turn and really just start clocking them in the air for a million. For Witness seems sick.
0: Yeah, definitely. On to black. Our first card here is actually a removal spell. It's bleed dry. This is two black black for an instant at common. Target creature gets minus 13, minus 13 until end of turn. That creature would die this turn, exile it instead. We finally learned how to deal with unhallowed phalanx.
1: <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, don't say it's unkillable. Y- you can deal with it. it. This is just the four mana black instant removal spell. I do like that this exiles, and the minus 13 minus 13 is a nice little flavor fi- uh, flavor win.
0: Yep, and our next two cards here are ones we've already covered. Bloodcraze Socialite. This is three and a black for the 3-3 three, three vampire with menace. Create a blood token when it enters the battlefield. And then when it attacks, you can sack Blood Token to give it plus two, plus two. And we also have Gluttonous Guest, the three in a black, one, four, that ETBs to create a Blood Token, and then you, you can gain life when you sack Blood Tokens.
1: Now, there is a whole bunch of stuff happening in black. It seems, I don't know, scattered? There's a lot of vectors here that are, and they point in very different directions. Vampires and Toughness want to do two totally different things. Which is why I'm a, I'm a little, uh, I'm pretty high on Gluttonous Guest, but this isn't the kind of thing you want to put in a super aggressive deck. It's a 1-4, right? I think this actually will best be uh, used in the life gain decks, which will also be playing off like black blood cards uh, and, you know, gaining some repetitive life. And in the toughness decks. And I think maybe this will show up in a vampire deck, but maybe in a more mid-range one. Ideally, you want a 3-drop with a little more power. I don't know, I'm a little concerned. It seems like it's like the colors pull in a bunch of different directions but it's got some cool cards that are relevant in lots of archetypes so we'll see how it goes. Next up in red we have Flame Blessed Bolt. This is one red for an instant. It deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn exile it instead. Yep cool. It's a shock. It exiles. Next. <laughs> a braid is one and a red for an instant. Choose one. A braid deals three damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. This is a downshift. This used to be uncommon. Yeah, I mean I don't think destroying artifacts is super useful in this set. I would not recommend pointing this at your opponent's blood tokens. That will not win <laughs> that will not work out well for you. But it's a two mana deal three to a creature at common. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean there's nothing really more to say. It's a fantastic removal spell. You're getting a lightning strike out of the deal, and occasionally maybe you'll have to deal with an artifact.
1: Last but not least we have Reckless Impulse here. That's the one in the red to exile the top two cards, you elaborate until end of your next turn, you may play these cards. This is just a really efficient rate. Like, isn't this just sometimes better than I don't know, divination? Yeah, it can be. Yeah, th- this will again, it's it's a little worse in the in the early game, but in the mid to late game, I just feel like this is exactly what some of the red decks will want. Like in a really aggressive deck, this is a great way to quote unquote refill your hand. So something like red, green or uh, or red white might want this. And then in red-blue, this is helping you both cast a non-creature spell and find more non-creature spells. Seems like a really versatile common.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, you can get away with this early game being being useful. I, ideally, what you'd see is maybe play this on turn four and mm-hmm. hope to flip a land and a two-drop, and then you can play the land, play the two-drop, and you're good to go. Yeah. But um, you do have that extra turn to work with, so that's also something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, that means that even if you flip two lands off of this, it's not the worst thing in the world. You get to play one the turn you cast it, and then one the next turn. And then, you know, sometimes it'll feel bad, but just think, those were two
0: lands that you were going to draw otherwise. Yeah, that really is the worst case. So red is
1: leveraging the spells theme a little bit, but the lack of a festival crasher type card feels like a little bit of a problem to me. I don't know. It wants to be aggressive, but... This this blue red spells deck in particular, I just feel like there should have been a, a festival crash or something similar to that uh, that, that triggered off of all non creature spells. I don't know. There is we'll there is one. one goes.
0: There is one, but it's uncommon.
1: Yeah, there's the big uncommon. It's like the five mana three three haste. It yes. gets plus two, plus two plus two for each a uh, non creature spell. It comes a little bit late in the game though, don't you think?
0: Possibly, but with a lot of these like I don't know, it seems like it's a slowish format. Uh, maybe maybe that will be fast enough. We'll mm-hmm. see.
1: I don't know. Let's just say it doesn't line up super well against the Unhallowed Phalanx. <laughs> you you play a 113, and you look at your 5-mana 3-3 three, three haste that's sometimes a 5-5 five, five, and sometimes even a 7-7. Seven, seven.
0: I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, next up here we've got green and a couple of new cards in green. Actually, just one new green card here. But essentially we're looking at, at a value engine, basically. Green is just looking to provide extra value to whatever color it's being paired with. Our first card here is Crawler. That's the 3-2 for 3 at common, dies into a card. We also have Wolf Strike, which is a 3 mana, a 2-0 green instant at common. Target creature you control gets 2-0 plus plus until end of turn if it's night. Then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. So a nice little punch card here that does also provide the ability to buff your creatures. Now, this is one you won't want to play very often in your black-green decks. Because it, it does actually yeah. deal its power. You're not getting around that, regardless of how many lumber knots you have. And our last green card here is Rural Recruit. That's the four mana one-one that ETBs to create a 3-1 green boar and also has training.
1: So, one one question about this: what is happening in the art for Spore Crawler? I've been staring at this card for a long time now, and it's clearly a fungus. I get that. Like, it looks like a fungus, but like, is it on something? Is it consuming something? Is it like a humanoid shape in there somewhere? Am I missing something here? Or is it just like a cool fungus?
0: I think it's just a fungus. I genuinely can't see anything else in there.
1: The flavor text says, remember to come back in a few years when the fungus has died off. Then we'll see what's in the chest. Is there like a treasure chest in there somewhere? I I feel like I'm missing something.
0: (laughs) Maybe that'll come out with the story. We'll figure that out. Old Rutstein's got to have his own story, right?
1: Oh, he absolutely will. So anyway, you got any final thoughts on the format? What cards are you excited to play with? What are you excited to try out?
0: Blue-white spirits, man. Let's do oh, it. Oh yeah, Blue-white spirits, big butts, and and less so spells this time around. The spells theme seems less... Inv- I mean, it's more interesting in that you can do the non-creature thing. It doesn't care about instant sorceries, but it's a little less inspired in terms of what you can do with it. But yeah, blue-white sounds awesome. I'm excited to actually see if enchantments is a thing that works and we can like have auras be a thing in limited and be like decent cards in limited. Otherwise, I'm curious to see if werewolves kind of make it in some capacity. Vampires seem like they actually will be playable. I, I'm pretty pretty excited to see how that works out. But yeah, blue whites mm-hmm. got me got me most excited.
1: I mean, if there ever was a way to make auras work as a theme in limited, it would be this, right? Like I adding them so. as just extra like stapled on cards to already solid cards. Uh, I, I like uh, I like this set as kind of a variation on the themes of Innistrad. We're getting some slightly different vectors. It's like they took every direction and they just kind of they just angled it a little bit to, to one side. They they adjusted things, so now blue-white it's still this this cool spirits disturb thing, still interacting with the graveyard and one-one flyers, but now it has this, like you said, this cool Ares sub-theme. I like the addition of exploit. It's a really fun mechanic to play with. I love green-white humans. I love tribal. I love counters, and I'm really probably personally most excited to just to just slam that paladin over and over again because, I don't know. I, I have a really hard time passing green-white uncommon format of four fours. Is it on crop Champion? Was the last yeah. one that I just... I just could never seem to pass that card. It was so sick. But anyway, uh, I really like training, how this thing looks, and I'm curious to see how blood plays out. It could lead to some interesting late-game play patterns that leads to less dead draws in the late game. I don't know. More so than anything, I'm excited to have some good werewolves for once perhaps even a few that are too good. <laughs> so uh, I think I'll be okay with uh, the, was it? Avonbrook caretaker making up for the, the lack of all the werewolves in both this and the previous set.
0: Yeah. I actually saw, I think it was Ari Lax may have been somebody else though on Twitter say that if they could, Oh no, actually I think it was, it was, um, it was quarter from limited level ups. Mm-hmm said that if they were given the choice to, they had to pick one of the two, but they were given the choice between putting an Averbrook Caretaker or the board wipe that says choose a number between zero and 13, each player sacks that many creatures, they would choose to put the Caretaker in their opponent's deck over the board wipe.
1: Really? Yeah. Huh. How about that?
0: Not sure I agree, but...
1: I don't know if I agree either. That's...
0: Hmm. Food for thought. Well, we'll mull
1: that one over a little bit.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening. This was a really fun episode to do. It's been a while since we've done... Well, I guess it actually hasn't been that long since we've done a format breakdown. <laughs> Midnight Hunt was just around the corner, but it's, it's always not a good time to do It's not
1: often this short, in fact. Yeah. is the shortest it will be.
0: Yeah, it, but it was a good time. Definitely check out the Discord if you're interested in talking more things Crimson Vow as this format gets ramped up. And of course, um, check out our 17 lands set grades over there. Those will be hopefully changing if we can keep up with it as, as we learn the format better. To check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And once again, if you want to support us, you can do so directly by going to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Keeps the show going. And uh, we really appreciate everybody who is supporting us there. If you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can do so on social media. You can find us both on Twitter. You can find Ben at betafish one Myself at Zach E. Hackett, and you can find the show directly at Pod. Thanks again. Enjoy Crimson Val, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: So it's pre-release weekend. I'm super excited for that. Uh, One thing about this set that, and I guess also Midnight Hunt, that I've noticed, they work with each other really well. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this isn't an accident. Maybe it's just incidental. Maybe uh, they just said design two interstred sets. I mean, they, they, they have the whole
0: they have the whole double feature thing coming up. I doubt they were intended to be played like they they were probably designed together.
1: That's where I'm going. I'm genuinely like I I really enjoy the set, especially the gameplay of it. I'm considering maybe making some sort of like cube out of this or just like not, not a cube that I would treat anyway in the same way as the draft shaft cube. That will forever be the main cube in my heart, but it would honestly be really cool to, to have. Some people will have like an old Innistrad cube. Maybe, maybe it'd be cool to have a, a new Innistrad cube, a midnight hunt crimson vow type cube where I don't know, maybe I could adjust the ratios of some of the cards, maybe even add in a werewolf or two here or there from uh, like shadows of Innistrad or something to kind of supplement them a little bit. Um, because especially, uh, have you seen the cards? What they look like from the double feature? They look sick. The the new do art style is those? awesome. They spoil a few. It's kind of like a uh, black and white homage, similar to how the lands look.
0: Hmm. I'll have to check that out.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm excited. But anyway, let us all know how you uh, how you do in your pre releases over this weekend in the Discord. I will certainly be posting my deck list, and uh, you know, good luck to everybody.